Miles Whitehead about some of the stories that matter. Folks, we have got a very interesting show planned for you today where we're going to spend some time talking about two issues that have been prominent in the news. Uh, one, I am wondering is a, whether it's a dog whistle. And so we will talk about that in terms of critical race theory and the way in which the Republican Party in particular, uh, conservative right, more, uh, more generally, have picked up on critical race theory and have been using that, weaponizing it in a sense, to get people in their party afraid that children, particularly white children, are learning about history from the perspective that they should feel guilty about it, that they should be concerned about it, that they should feel that they are responsible for what is happening. It is interesting because if you are not familiar with the ins and out of critical race theory and all you're getting is what you're hearing, then you don't have a full understanding of it. Critical race theory is not something, as we've been saying, but people are not listening. There is no sneaky agenda to critical race theory. What they're really attacking is the teaching of African-American history, is the teaching of women's history, is the teaching of Jewish American history, is the teaching of uh, Hispanic American history. They don't want any of that to be taught, and they're cloaking it and using the language of critical race theory, which heretofore has been reserved for either law school classes, which is where it's primarily found, if you look at the work of Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Mary Matsuda, to name many, or you find it in some African-American history courses, particularly if you have professors who have been trained to understand critical race theory and are teaching about the ways in which race has been codified into the law. I want to talk a bit about that. I'm going to be joined later by Councilman Zeke Cohen to spend some time talking about a Facebook post that he wrote about his time as a teacher and how he talked about uh, his history as a Jewish American and how that became kind of a flare-up at the school with the concern that he was indoctrinating students. We're going to talk about that when he joins us. I also want to talk today and get more into a conversation that we had yesterday. We started talking about the ways in which black women at this point, all the data is showing that when it comes to being desirable, when it comes to being dating material, there's growing, there's a growing body of research that black women are the least desirable. Uh, women to date, and Asian American men are the least desirable men to date. I want to get into what's happening within the black community, spend some time talking about colorism today, uh, and then open up the phones and hear from you. And so as we get into this conversation, I invite you uh, to think deeply about colorism, about whether or not these issues are ones that you have thought about, and then where do we go from here? We began this conversation yesterday based upon an article that was published uh, in an injustice.com. Uh, it's a form of medium, um, and medium, of course, is the online publication where they really over give a, a broad overview of some of the topics that people are talking about. And so the statistics show that right now, when it comes to being uh, desirable, black women out of all the other racial groups are the least desirable of all women in the dating pool. Black women also outnumber black men as a result of mass incarceration. Two things that you don't really see as tied, but they are tied together because for every 100 black women in an inner city community, there are only 89 black men. There was a wonderful study in the New York Times a few years ago talking about the 1.5 million black men in our community who are either uh, incarcerated or involved in the incarceration system somewhere along the, the tool of the mass incarceration system, we find 1.5 million black men that are missing from our community. That the gross misrepresentation of black women, which goes back to slavery when you think about it, if you really want to begin to build up an understanding of why this is an issue today, you have to go back and understand it was an issue back then. 
that the economy of this country is built on the wombs of black girls and black women. This is where we find ourselves when we talk about rape and miscegenation coming out of slavery. We talk about the ways in which, as Angela Davis said, you know, plantation owners had an uncontestable access to the black woman's body, something that has never been pushed back on. It's never been people have never been made to understand that this access did not continue, but was only in place during a period of slavery. But the ways in which black women to use Malcolm X's words, are so disrespected. Black women are so unprotected that it has been a struggle trying to understand where we are. And so I want to talk about that just a bit. Um, I asked former Senator Barbara Robinson, uh, whose service to the state of Maryland began in 1966. She was the first woman and the first African-American in the history of the Maryland judicial system to hold the positions of chief of the Maryland Traffic Division, deputy administrator of the district court, the Supreme Bench, and the circuit court, to join us uh, to have her weigh in on some of this data. Senator Robinson, how are you? I am doing absolutely great. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to join you again. You know, you are, you are one of, as my girlfriend said, you're one of the bestesses. <laughs> thank you so much, Senator Robinson. I'm so happy to have you on here um, because you can give us some insight. We, we can kind of draw this long arm of history here. So this new data uh, suggested black women, strong, aggressive, want to be left alone, waking up with an attitude. Black women are the least desirable of all women in the dating pool. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. And why do you think this is that there is, once again, an attack on black women that we are dealing with? So I want to, one of the things I want to piggyback on, you use the word t- colorism. And I'm going back to 1950 when uh, I was in high school. They were uh, had what they called a court of beauty. And when I learned that they were filming this court of beauty to go in one of the books, it was amazing that because I was one of the uh, individuals who were considered smart, uh, I was one of the honor students, not only did I not know that they were filming the Court of Beauty, I wasn't invited. And when I went down to where they were filming, down in the gymnasium, I was told, bluntly, because my skin was too dark. The Court of Beauty were all of these students with light complexion. So I was excluded from that. And that carried on even into the 60s, uh, even at Morgan, you know, there were individuals, a group of girls that were discriminating. I'm going back into 1957, y'all, <laughs> uh, when uh, there were a group of people, uh, students there, who ostracized students of darker skin, and I know that because I was one of the people who was ostracized because my skin is dark. That also carried over into when I'm working at the uh, court system, and I started there when it was the municipal court. They don't even have that anymore. The municipal, the district court was replaced, uh, the, the district court replaced the municipal court. Well, when I was at the district court and I started fighting for black women to be able to wear the natural hairstyle, what I'm running up against, my white supervisors trying to say, you coming in with your, and they use the word, nappy hair. Mm. And I said, well, if that's the case, then yours is nappy as well, because we are doing the same thing that you are doing. I get up, I brush my hair, I wash it, and I come to work. That's what you do. And if we can't do the same thing, and I went to Annapolis on that, and uh, uh, Chief Judge at the time sided with me. Well, Borgadine sided with me. He wasn't Chief Judge. He was Administrative Judge of the uh, District Court. 
And then when I fought also for women to be able to wear slacks to work, my white supervisor went to up to the judge and said, but we need to force them, meaning women, to wear tops that will cover their butts because black women, and she said this, black women's butts are too big to be in pants. Mm. Now, this is at the district court. And those things carried over to the Supreme bench. When I'm working and I come to work and there is a, a, a noose on my desk, I don't know if it was a shoestring or whatever, but it was a string, and it was a noose on my desk. And there was an article in the paper where a black woman had been hit with a cane, and that was one of the hotels downtown Baltimore, and if you can research that, where a black woman was hit with a cane by a white man, and she was a waitress or servant, and she was killed. And that article was on my desk, and across the article written with a black marker, this could happen to you too, nigger. Mm. And so those kind of things carried on into me even starting a business. When I wanted to start a business, when I left the court system, and I'm sitting there, and I'm in uh, my idea, my business plan, I've gone with my attorney and all that other stuff, and the bank came in and said, you will have to get your husband because we don't allow, we won't give a, a loan to a woman. And I said, but my husband is not in this business with me. Right. And this was a black man. And he said, but you have not been trained. And I said, how do you know? But he wouldn't give me a loan until I was able to get my husband. Mm. So it's like these things have been... Uh, perpetuated from the 50s and the 60s. You know, and I'm listening at a story yesterday where uh, Mrs. Gates, Bill Gates' wife, mm -hmm. was talking about her time in Africa. And at that time, she was talking about black women. And where she was saying that she saw these women, one with a baby on her back or uh, a bundle on her head, a bundle in her arms, and another baby in her stomach, yet she was going to work. So all of these things are saying that uh, we as women, not necessarily just black women, but women have to be able to take care of their family. But it's not looked at as just right. women. Right. It's looked at as just black women. Because I was listening to a program where this black man was married to this white woman. And this white woman was asked about this interracial uh, marriage. And she was saying, well, no wonder black men don't want black women because they are always angry. They are always arguing. And I submit that it is not a black woman that's always angry or always arguing. It's the black woman who has been the, the backbone of the family for so long that she is viewed as being stronger. Right. Even when we yeah. have to defend uh, ourselves. You know, I'm going back again in the 1960s living in the projects, flag court projects, and I'm remembering how many women were in that project that were head of household because the men in the family were not there. They were either incarcerated or in the streets. And I can also remember being on welfare when the welfare uh, people would come and the, the social workers would come into your home to uh, see if you were uh, eligible to be on welfare. 
they would not give any of us, and I'm saying us because I was one of the women on welfare, any money at all if we had a man living in our house. Now, rather than trying to bring back the family structure or trying to bring cohesiveness between the woman and the father of her children, it was like, if the man is in the house, we are not going to give you any money. Rather than trying to train these, you need relationship training, then give that to the people. If you needed training in how to take care of your children, give that. Because women were so um, so depressed. Uh, I won't say depressed. I said stressed because of having to go out to work and then come home and take care of the family alone, and then no one is really listening to what black women have to say. Right, right. Because it's like, well, you are always complaining. It's not we're always complaining. It's always we're trying to get somebody to understand. Right. So, so let me do this, Senator Robinson. So I'm, thank you so much for just laying everything down. Uh, we have a number of people who want to chime in. We have a number of callers who want to join us. But let me just break down so that people we're all on the same page here. Because I put colorism on the table. Senator Robinson has brought in uh, racism and discrimination. Let me just define it for people, Senator Robinson, so everyone knows exactly what we're talking about. Colorism, folks, is a practice of discrimination by which those with lighter skin in our community are treated more favorably than those with darker skin. Colorism often happens within the same race. We've been talking about the tension between the light skin and dark skin community. And I will say I hate to even use that terminology. But that is a terminology that we have. Uh, when it comes to racism, it's the individual, cultural, and institutional beliefs and discrimination that systematically oppresses people of color. I see the black people, Latinos, Native Americans, or indigenous people, and Asians. Discrimination is the mistreatment of an individual or group based on their social membership, regardless of their social power. So let's understand that black folks experience the most racism and the most discrimination, but when it comes to colorism within our own community, darker-skinned black women experience more discrimination and more colorism. And so that's what we really want to get into, and we want to be able to unpack that uh, and the experience around that. And what does that mean as we go forward when we start looking at this data about the fact that if you lay down the percentages, that the highest percentage of women who are getting married, if they so choose to get married, the highest percentage, when they did this study here, when they just looked at the skin color, we found that it was higher for lighter-skinned women. We're going to get into what that means. I want to invite Dr. Cheryl McArthur to the table. She's based in Georgia. Dr. McArthur, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me, Dr. Kay. Yes, you're on with myself and Senator Barbara Robinson. But I wanted to have you speak about this notion of colorism within the black community as it pertains to black women. Yeah, and I mean, it, it definitely impacts black men too, right? But one of the manifestations of white supremacy is the use of whiteness as the standard of beauty. And that's a global concept of beauty, right? Which is why India has the, the, the largest skin bleaching uh, industry in the world. So when you have a group of people who have colonized uh, uh, other cultures the world over, um, then this just becomes one manifestation. And so what that looks like for black women um, particularly darker-skinned black women, uh, where our features are typically, generally not phenotypically in line or aligned with white features, then we begin to be um, a deviation from the standard. We become a deviation from the norm, and we are then mistreated and dismissed as unattractive or undesirable. So now with that, Senator Robinson, when we look at the data, uh, and just to kind of let people know that there's some real research around this, because they have found that darker-skinned black women are given longer prison sentences than their light-skinned counterparts, uh, that 
when it comes to pay scales, they found a difference in pay scales. I mean, we're just breaking it down within the black community and specifically looking at colorism today and how this is a practice that came from slavery and it still thrives to this day. Senator Robinson is someone who has, you know, a little bit of a longer eye of history. Do you still see this as an issue as much as it was, say, when the, the paper bag test was something that was prevalent within our community? I really do. If you look at some of these shows that are coming on now, uh, The Housewives, etc., when you when we see uh, on these shows, I'm not going to call in the names, but when you see on these shows uh, there were a, a couple of dark skin, it's pointed out. You know, it says, well, there are only two dark skins on here, or there are only two uh, uh, dark skin, or one dark skin, etc., etc., it's again. It seems to be the closer you get to white, the more acceptable you are, and that's the reason that you have all of these men, black men, and the shows that are coming on television now, having women. You, you can say that you have one of color, but look at the color that she is. Very seldom. Do you see uh, a dark-skinned woman with a white male? And when you do, it's a discussion. It's pointed out because it's a rarity. You know, one of the, uh, I don't know what it is that our, we're not teaching our young people the difference or they're not learning. When I say that, I was coming back from a book signing tour. And I was going through the airport, and when I was getting ready to be checked in, a young black man uh, said, hi, Andy. And I started not to say anything, and then I said, what did you call me? He said, Andy. I said, I'm not related to you, mm. and so how can you say that I'm your Andy? And then I thought about it. So I pulled him on the side, and I explained to him that I'm from Alabama, and white folks would refer to black women, especially dark-skinned black women, as auntie. We were not miss or never miss. Mm. It was always auntie. So that was derogatory. And when I explained that to him, I said, don't ever disrespect another black woman by referring to her as auntie. So once I explained that to him, it was almost like a light bulb went on in his head because before that he didn't understand. That's because we are not explaining to these young people what went on in their past. You know, now, when Senator we say... Robinson, oh, I'm so sorry to stop you there. They're giving me a hard out. When we come back, we got to talk about that notion because we've been doing that. I mean, we, when we call, we use that term, Auntie, talk about Maxine Waters, Auntie Maxine, Auntie uh, Maya. I mean, I think it's something that we have to get into, Dr. MacArthur, and we'll do that when we return. 410-319-8888. Join the conversation around colorism, discrimination, and racism within the black community. We'll talk more about it when we come back. I'm Shine Boggs, a junior multi-platform production major. I'm an intern here working at WEAA, and I believe the support that the station gives me is an essential to my development as a student and worker. Donate at WEAA.org and call in at 410-319-8888. Whitehead. I'm on now with Senator Barbara Robinson and Dr. Cheryl MacArthur, and we're talking about colorism uh, within the black community, framing it around a discussion of racism and discrimination as well. I invite you to join the conversation. 410-319-8888. A black women are darker-skinned black women discriminated against within our own community. I mean, the statistics came out in research that shows that black women are the least desirable women uh, to date, and darker-skinned black women have lower rates of marriage than our lighter-skinned sisters. So I want to talk about that, and I want to talk to you. We have one phone call from Curtis from Baltimore. Curtis, how are you? Dr. K, great topics as usual. Thank you. Now, let me just say everything I'm about to say is my opinion, right? Um, 
in my circle of family and friends, we often have this type of conversation. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. K, and I know you said that that uh, um, opinion about uh, black women being the most undesired women came from some polling or something. Yes. I just I just want to know first of all who did they poll because <laughs> that that's what I want to know first of all because from what I know to be a fact, Doctor K, mm-hmm. every man out here in every race in every color desires a black woman. Mm. Now, most black men, and this is my opinion, Dr. K. Okay. Most black women, I mean, most black men, when when they talk about the attitude and the, the anger and stuff like that, I don't think it's, it's as being angry, a black woman is being angry or having an attitude. I agree with a lot of what your, your guest speakers were saying. I, I agree with most of what they were saying. As far as black women having a lot to deal with, as far as working, coming home, taking care of household responsibilities and everything, I think that black women are misunderstood. I I feel like, you know, I love my wife, my black queen, right? And I feel like she makes me a better man than I could have ever been on my own. And the last thing that I want to say to you, Dr. K, that's discussed in my circle, is we oftentimes discuss when we see a black woman with a European man, how could she or why would she, Mm -hmm. right? When we most know the answer to why we would see a black man with a white woman, and this is my opinion, and I've heard several other men state it. With a European woman, you can have your way because that's what they do. They, 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 they want to let you have your way in whatever it is that you want to do with, though, when it comes to a black, strong, uh, intelligent, strong-minded woman, black woman, you know, you you got to come at her with some type of of logic, some type of uh, uh, you know, you just got to have it, Doctor K. Okay. And, and I'm glad to see that black women out here, you know, are are strong as they are. I just wish more of our black women would be more strong, more independent. And my last opinion, Doctor K, to the black women that may be listening. If you don't have a black husband, I suggest that you you get one and create that household, that family structure okay. that they have been trying to deny us for centuries. And you you'd be amazed okay. at what a black man and a black woman can do together, Doctor right. K. Thank you so much, Curtis. I appreciate that, folks. I just want to make a note: you are free uh, to love anyone you want. You're free to live your life the way that you want, but Dr. MacArthur, one thing Curtis did touch on, it is true that interracial marriages or biracial marriages, um, that they're on the rise. And there's been a sharp, steep increase in that. Yeah, they are on the rise. Uh, I just want to touch on one thing that that brother said, and, you know, uh, across races, black women are desired. And I definitely, as a black woman, want that to be the case, right? Um, But we often are choosing then uh, black women who have phenotypical features Mm -hmm. that align with whiteness still, which is why we see an increase of men talking about, you know, wanting their woman to look foreign. We see that in, you know, many rap songs, right, talking about light skins and red bones and foreign women. So when black women are chosen by partners, uh, you know, what is their curl pattern? What is the, mm. the, the width of their nose? What is the thickness of their lips? What is the color of their skin? All of those things align with this idea of colorism, right? And it, I think the, to your point, Dr. K, when we see an increase in interracial dating, 
as it relates to black women, um, uh, you know, research has shown that black women outnumber black men by the age of 16, far outnumber black men by the age of 16, whereas with our white counterparts, that doesn't happen until the age of 32. And, and yet and still, we still remain the most loyal to black men, meaning that many of us don't choose to date outside of our race or marry outside of our race. Um, but I think with those kinds of numbers, um, we are seeing a turn to uh, interracial dating. But Malcolm X has, you know, he said it best in 62 mm. that the most unprotected person in America is a black woman. The most uh, disrespected as well. Let me add this in, Senator Robinson. The other thing I want to put on the table is that the other figures that show that 67 percent of white women between the ages of 25 and 54 are married, while only 34 percent of black women are. Now, this is assuming they want to get married. It seems to be increasingly difficult for black women to get married. And within that figure, Senator Robinson, 57 percent of light-skinned women are more likely to get married and only 23% of darker-skinned black women. You know, I want to touch on something just like that with the call. I think his name was Curtis, had yes. said about uh, white women uh, doing whatever is necessary to please the black man if they're married to a black man. Uh, a black man feels that he can do whatever he wants to do uh, with or two, this white woman, and she would accept that. So many times we hear things like that, uh, and I'm not so sure that that's not true, because we say, you know, if that had been a black woman, ain't no way in the world a black woman would have taken that. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> For real. And which is true, because a lot of times white women allow black men to get away with things that a black woman would not accept. And it's called respect. It's not called anger. When you have been out here working as hard as black woman has, or as long as black woman has, and doing the work in order to take care of yourself and your family, you deserve and you demand a certain amount of respect. And sometimes, and this is not for all black men, because we got some real good brothers out there, <laughs> but sometimes when you get a black man who, I'm the king of the castle and I'm the king of this, and you are subservient to me, then a black woman's not going to take that. But if you're going to be the king of your castle, and your woman is the queen of the castle, and being treated as such, you're not going to have that problem. Now, we have some callers here. I want to put on the, the table callers because we're just adding more research here. But there's a, a study that talks about the fact that there's an invisibility and dehumanization okay. that happens to black women every single day. Yes. It becomes a, it's a psychological a harm that's created against us. It's a material harm that's created against us, that black women are injured psychologically, emotionally, on a number of bases throughout the day. And when we respond, Dr. MacArthur, we are then the angry black woman. Right. We are then uh, the black woman that can't take a joke. We are the black woman who wants to be seen rather than having the space as our white counterparts have and our Asian American counterparts have to just speak up for ourselves and not take it anymore. Right. This notion of the angry black woman has stayed with us. We have a couple of calls. Let's go to April, a new call from Philadelphia, then Sharif, and then we have Christian and Wesley. April, how are you? Thank you for joining the conversation. I'm good. Um, this is actually a conversation I have with my friends all the time. Um, and as I'm 33 at this time, so we talk about dating and just meeting men. And I feel like what we see now in our community is that and when I talk about how white black women are represented, black men, compared to the other counterparts, are the ones who, on 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 any other you know platform, are the only ones that kind of say these things publicly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, negative things about our race publicly. Where, like, if you hear Asian men or white men, they don't speak on the negative things about their women, 
And then um, I would also say that about black, uh, about their women, their women counterparts, like black men are the ones who like, oh, well, she has an attitude, uh, yeah. she does, she, she's disobedient or she's not submissive. They use these terms. And then also, like, I feel like our white counterparts or other counterparts, like white women, Asian women, Hispanic women, they're allowed the ability to be feminine. They're mm. allowed the ability to have feminine traits and to present femininity. And that's what guys claim that they want. They want the feminine traits. They want the submissive woman. But I'm like, in our household, we're not allowed to be that. But when they date outside, black men, when they date outside their race, they know that they have to take on the role, a certain role to date these women. But when they date black women, they don't feel like they have to do those things. They want mm-hmm. a submissive woman, yes. Yeah, so usually when they date the white or Asian or whatever counterparts, they step up and allow that woman to have feminine traits. Mm-hmm. And and I think black women, we're not taught to be allowed. We're taught be a strong black woman, be, you know, you, you know, you go get a job, this and that, be educated, this and that. So we have all these, these skills, but we're taught to be independent women. We're not taught to be, you know, not to say that we aren't submissive, it's just that we can't be within our own community. You know, mm-hmm. our men expect us to do more. All right, they want you to be a provider. They want you to, um, they want you to be educated. They want you to also look a certain way because, you know, in order for you to be feminine, you have to have feminine traits that are close right. to whiteness or, you know, those other things. So I'm like, you know, when we date men, you know, even me, um, when I was dating, um, I have a fiancé now, like, they, they wanted certain traits of the other counterparts. However, they didn't treat us the same way that they would treat the other counterparts when they would date them. You know, Thank they you. weren't. So I if stop they you there, April. I appreciate you. We have a lot of phone calls. Oh, April, you have just laid something on the table. Dr. MacArthur, I want to have you respond to that. Do black men fail to give black women the space that we need to be tired, <laughs> to need Ooh. to be taken care of, to, to get to that moment where we're banging our heads to cry? And say that it's yeah. okay, or is it about we have to always be strong because mm. that's what we're expected to do every single day, and that's what they push back against when it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I want to first start with that we have some incredible and phenomenal brothers, right? So I, w- I would never want any other brothers to be listening and think that we in any way don't love or appreciate them or that we are attempting to male bash. Um, Still, it's true that 68% of black women are responsible for being the primary source of income for our household. In addition to all of the invisible labor that we tend to do with our children, that we tend to do with our parents, uh, with that kind of in-home care. Um, and so you have a black man who uh, in society is dehumanized, is degraded, is dismissed, and he in, in many ways is looking for a space, unfortunately, to exert some level of dominance, right? When you feel subservient in a world, you want a space that you don't feel that way. And unfortunately, for some of us, we interact with black men who then want to enact that level of dominance over us, right? But again, when we start talking about there's 68% of black women who are responsible for being the primary source of income, where, where do we start to see the levels of respect for the sheer work that black women put in in the labor force, that black women put in in the home with our children and in our relationships to and with black men? But so that, I do that, think that there are some so sincere good. conversations that have to be had between black men and black women. Well, I think I, you're touching on something, Dr. MacArthur. Did, uh, Sister uh, Senator Robinson, do you want to respond? Then we'll go to Sharif, Christian, Wesley, and Coley. Senator Robinson? I do, because black men want the same thing that white men want. We, they want nice homes. They want nice cars and uh, money for the children to go to college, etc. White men make more money uh, than black men in certain positions. You can hear so often that She's a stay-at-home wife. You don't hear that much in the black community because we don't have that luxury of being a stay-at-home wife. The wife of a black, of two, a black man and a black woman, in order for them to have the same type of, of luxuries or the same thing, material wealth, it's going to take two households, two incomes, so that black woman can't be thrilly and subservient and stay at home. 
she's going to have to be educated and paraprofessional or professional to help her man build what it is that they both want. So that being said, when that black woman is out there in the world, she has to be strong professionally, educationally, mentally, psychologically, where that white woman does not have to do that. She can stay at home and be taken care of uh, by this uh, uh, black man who, in some cases, the white woman is bringing to the table money also. Mm, family money. So let's, family open up, money. let's open up, folks. I want to put a book on the table before I go to the next caller for people to, to really look at it. There's a book that was edited by Gloria Hall, H-U-L-L, among others, called All the Women Are White, All the Blacks Are Men, But Some of Us Are Brave. When it talks about this double portion of invisibility that black women are dealing with. Let's go to Sharif, a new call from Baltimore. Sharif, how are you? Welcome to the conversation. Yes, this this is a, a a conversation I think that is you know much needed within our community, and I think when you have a situation, mature people have mature conversations, and as we mature as as a people, I think that uh, you know we'll find that you know this conversation really has to take place within our households, within our schools, within our religious organizations, because we also have to. Uh, Beware that there are forces that are trying to pick and choose our, uh, who has value in our community. And when we take a look at the, the, the black woman, she is, yes, she has had to, to, to work and educate herself in many times, uh, maintain a one household, uh, uh, parenting uh, family situation. And this is, there's no cooker cutting, cooker cutter, uh, method to this problem. We have to be able to speak to this problem on many different levels. And uh, uh, one thing that has really concerned me, if you, you take a look at the aspect of the interracial marriages, uh, the media, television, has great impact on our community in terms of who we choose, in terms of our dating, our marriages. You look on the television today, almost every commercial you see when it comes to marriage couples, they're interracial couples. Yes. You know, and, and this is the thing that as our children and as we begin to look at these things, yes, we can have our choices, but we also have to make sure that we don't allow someone else to make choices for us as a people. And, uh, and we have to value our black women. You know, I'll go back to a situation when I was in junior high school. My mother was a very dark-skinned woman. And I was talking to the, uh, a, a young girl, a friend of mine, in the schoolyard, and she was a dark-skinned girl. And a friend of mine came up to me and said, why are you talking to that dark-skinned girl? Why are you talking to that old black girl? And that really disturbed me, and I was appalled with this person, and I broke off my friendship with this person because I said, if this is the way he feels about me talking to a black girl, a dark-skinned girl, then he must feel the same way when he comes to visit me in my mm. home. Why are you looking at my mother, who is a very dark-skinned woman? So I thank you for allowing me. Thank you so much, Sharif. Let me get another phone call in here, and then I'll have Dr. MacArthur and Senator Robinson respond. Let's go to Christian from Severn, Maryland. Christian, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well, Dr. K. Thanks Thanks for for letting me on. Um, As far as less people getting married, I think that has to kind of do with the culture and the media that's being portrayed nowadays. I mean, if you look at um, what is seen as what younger people aspire to be in media. You're looking at these musicians, hip-hop artists that are promiscuous. They don't commit to any sort of long-standing relationship. It's kind of like, bang, on to the next one, on to the next one. And as far as interracial relationships and marriages, I mean, my wife is darker-skinned. She's black. I'm white. We have three kids. We've been together for 10 years. And I'd, I'd... Race didn't really have a say in our relationship. We just kind of, you know, a man meets a woman. Her parts are women parts. My parts are men parts. So it kind of just goes together that way for us. All right. Thank you so much, Christian. I appreciate you. Dr. MacArthur, I want to come back to you Um, because we know that, that everyone's free to, to marry and love whoever they want. I mean, Christian spoke about that. I agree with that. What we're trying to get into 
It is the discrimination that occurs within our community and the ways in which black women as a whole are positioned and then darker skinned black women. If we look at the media and the portrayal, I think my, my coach, Coach Shanti Whitehead, was talking to me about Lapita this morning. About, you know, the fact that Lupita, as beautiful as she is, I mean, that image of the very strong black woman is not someone that was sexualized in the same way that, say, I mean, I don't know, Beyonce is. I mean, the way that uh, Stacey Dash is a good example of someone who left our community. But when she was out there, people loved that, you know, her more European features, the green eyes, the long hair, that there is a tendency to put those women, even within our own community, in our own music, in our movies, we put them first front as the desirable standard, what's more acceptable in America. Do you still find that happening? Do you agree with that? Um, I think that there, we are moving towards, in some ways, a shift from that, but it is definitely, absolutely still alive and well. We have been indoctrinated in the same system that in society that everyone else has, right? So people begin to internalize unless you are in spaces or have people in front of you that are working to help you unlearn how society would treat uh, uh, darker-skinned people, black women in particular, then you tend to buy into the system, which is relevant, or, or, or we could see that on the television shows, right? I won't name any, in films, um, in music videos. It is still very much so that darker-skinned black women are not uh, viewed as desirable. I remember in 2014, Kendrick Lamar intentionally asked for a dark-skinned model for the lead woman in his video, and he got so much pushback about that thing, right? And so even though that was seven years ago, we still see such a lag, right? When you're talking about uh, Lupita, you're naming one person. But we can name over and over and over and over and over again black women who are in the forefront that don't have uh, the, the, the beautiful dark skin that Lupita has, and that is a problem. That's actually a good point, because if you add in Senator Robinson, we know that in terms of that that intersectional discrimination, you add in being a dark skinned black woman. And then we start talking about uh, discrimination around weight, because that comes into play as well. The ways in which we have darker skinned black women who are heavier. That's always kind of the mother, but obviously the butt of the jokes, too. Right. That's right. And, you know, I want to also black women in business. You know, I can remember when I first started in, in business in the healthcare industry, there were over 200 healthcare providers in the state of Maryland, and there were only three of us at that time, black women, that had gotten these lucrative contracts. And the state attempted to make us merge into one business rather than having three, and they used that, 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 the guy that was giving the money to the black businesses says, those niggers are making too much money. So when I, as a black woman, stood up and said, no, we all have been working too hard to be where we are and who we are, I was considered a radical, a racist, I mean, a, not racist, radical and a militant and a troublemaker. And that's when the government started trying to force me into bankruptcy because I didn't know my place. And that's what's happening with a lot of black women when they see injustices being done, injustice being done in situations. Sometimes we, they are afraid to speak out because they will be intimidated or attacked. Now, I write about that in the book that I have coming out now, and it's called Because I'm Black. And it talks just about this, about the things that happened, and that's just here in Maryland, uh, being discriminated against, being in business because you're a black woman. Now, there were white women who had these lucrative contracts, but they were not forced to merge as the black women were. So let's keep the conversation going. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Wesley on the phone from Town, Maryland. Wesley, how yeah. are you? Thanks for holding on. All righty. Okay, I'm a black man who is about as melanin uh, challenged as you can get. And I've been mistaken for everything but black. Mm-hmm. But basically by white people, though. Put it that okay. way, by white people. I've been called Italian, Puerto Rican, this, that, and other. Now, I have never, I guess it's based on my family background and how I was raised. I have never considered 
dating or marrying out of race. I've never considered that. It wasn't even a question in my mind, okay? Uh, I don't see, personally, I don't see anything attractive about fair skin. I don't see anything attractive about long, narrow noses. I just don't see it. I don't see anything attractive about thin lips. I don't see anything attractive about okay. stringy hair. I, we we get you. We get, so then you are someone where you only date African-American women. I only have dated African-American women. Fair skin, dark skin, don't make, it didn't make any difference to me. I was interested in getting the, well, the most attractive and uh, smart uh, woman I can, could get. I've been married twice. My last wife passed couple of years ago, but I don't see the I don't see the big the big thing about the white woman. I just I just it doesn't compute. I just don't see it. Okay. All right. Thank you. I got to stop you there, Wesley. I know that. Uh, thank you so much, Senator Barbara Robinson, for joining us. Uh, what what an interesting conversation. Former Senator Barbara Robinson, her service to the state of Maryland began in 1966. She was inducted into Maryland Women's Hall of Fame and voted Legislator of the Year twice. Thank you, Senator Robinson. Absolutely. And I thank you so much for. Uh, having this conversation because it is so very well needed. And we need individuals to come on just like we're having in order to address this issue because black women need to understand those who are coming in my footsteps, you know, those who have uh, been with me for so long to understand that you are somebody, you are worthwhile. Okay, I got to stop you there, Senator Robinson. I'm so sorry because I want to thank Dr. Cheryl MacArthur as well, uh, joining us from Georgia. Folks, we're going to hold it here. When we come back, we have Lisa, Ben, Robin, and Coley. Thank you, Dr. MacArthur. Thank you. Folks, we're going to continue the conversation on the other side of the break. Stay with us.